Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode, the first 2021 episode of You Want to Split That, the podcast that has interesting people and fast food. My name is Bailey Angle. If this is your first time joining us, I am an ACC Network broadcaster at Virginia Tech. And for those of you coming back, welcome back. Sorry for the delay. I am so excited for this episode I have releasing for you guys today. And for those of you who don't know me, uh, I've been into trivia since I was a kid. And in high school, I played on the Quiz Bowl team. And now that that's over, my passion for that has just kind of resorted into watching Jeopardy both on Netflix and on cable. And obviously, it's a very pivotal time in the history of the show because of the passing of Alex Trebek. And I really wanted to find someone to talk about that with. And I think that this is a perfect guest to talk about the trajectory of the American icon of a show that is Jeopardy, and that is Claire McNear. She writes for The Ringer, which is obviously a very popular website with sports and pretty much all things pop culture. And she just wrote an awesome book called Answers in the Form of Questions, A Definitive History and Insider's Guide to Jeopardy. And the thing we got to eat today Mixing it up a little bit. Hadn't done pizza in a while. I know I did a papadilla um, a couple of months ago, but we're going to do actual pizza today, and it's from Domino's, and they have a pizza that came out, I believe, back in November of 2020, a new specialty pizza that's a chicken taco pizza. It's got chicken on it, provolone cheese, some peppers, and honestly a very interesting thing to check out from Domino's and I was super happy to eat it and have a great conversation with Claire McNear of The Ringer and the author of the new book Answers in the Form of Questions A Definitive History and Insider's Guide to Jeopardy. I don't know the last time you had chicken or tacos or pizza so I'm really glad that we got to pick something that really morphed the two of those. Um, I know you said you don't really ever eat uh, anything other than McDonald's. So where does Domino's kind of fall on your uh, fast food hierarchy? You know, I will say that actually Domino's has become my my one other fast food that I turn to in times of need, by which I mean alcohol. Um, <laughs> like, especially in this pandemic, like I feel like I have been ordering probably definitely too much Domino's, but I order like very boring, like pepperoni. I've never, I've never had a a taco pizza before. (laughs) Yeah. I was kind of thinking that this was going to be a little bit more exotic when I opened up the box and I was like, Oh, this looks, this looks all right. Cause I remember like a talk. Yeah. It does look normal because at CC's pizza, I don't know if those exist anymore. Um, but they have like lettuce and chopped beef on their taco pizza. So I'm really glad we picked a a little bit more of a tame thing. So, uh, if you're ready, I'm ready. If you have the pizza out in front of you, I'm ready to eat. Yeah, let's, let's do this. All right. So is this like a taste test before I take a bite? So we're going to rate it at the end, but we kind of eat it as we go. Honestly, first bite, not bad. It's got that provolone cheese in it. That's kind of gooey. You know, it's not maybe my normal thing, but what do you think? Excuse me. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's surprisingly okay. I mean, I think I definitely, when I opened the box, when it arrived at my house, I was like, there's going to be weird stuff all over this. Like, it's not a food I will want at all, but it smells good. It looks good. It tastes okay. Yeah, I think like that's bizarre. a, that's, 
Right. I think it's a good start to the conversation that the pizza isn't disgusting. So we can, we're, we're on a good foot. <laughs> yeah, here. Nobody is going to need to like throw up. Right. <laughs> well, oh first of all, uh, Claire, um, I just wanted to say that I loved your book and it's your first book. I want to, I want you to say, um, I want to say that I think you knocked your first book out of the park. So congratulations on that, by the way. Title of the book is Answers in the Form of Questions, A Definitive History and Insider's Guide to Jeopardy. And for those you who don't know, Claire is actually a writer uh, for The Ringer. And I saw a podcast that you did uh, with uh, Bill Simmons. And, uh, you know, I, I was wondering what the process of getting to write this book is like. It's like, how do you decide that you're getting ready to do it? Yeah, yeah. Um... It was, it was kind of a, a long road, but it was a fun one. Um, so I work at The Ringer, as you said, and uh, a wonderful thing about The Ringer, I'm going to close my pizza box so it does not freeze while I'm talking. Um, a wonderful thing about working at The Ringer is because The Ringer covers a little bit of everything in the kind of sports and culture worlds. I, as a writer without like a very defined beat, kind of get to pitch anything within that universe, which is very broad. So like I've written a lot about sports and pop culture and TV and movies, but I've also written about food and politics and tech. And um, often I just end up writing about things I love. <laughs> and <laughs> for me, it was like, I, I'd kind of grown up with Jeopardy. I had fallen out of it. I didn't have cable in college, didn't have cable in like the years immediately after college. And then when my now fiance and I moved in together like five years ago, we got cable. And I remember like having this realization that we could just tape it and start watching it every single night. So we started doing that. And then eventually like, there are like these pretty regular moments of like viral Jeopardy things. Like, you know, the, the contestants will all miss like a sports category or, you know, there will be like a contestant who just tears it up and wins a bunch of money. And so I just started pitching stories to my editors who like very, very graciously, very patiently let me go just like deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole. And I started to, you know, actually really report and meet the people in that universe and both the contestants and the people who actually make the show. And like, there were just so many other stories that I wanted to write in about Jeopardy and a book just seemed like a really great way to tie all of that together and get to do something a little bit more ambitious with it. Um, so The Ringer had just partnered with Grand Central Publishing, which is an imprint of Achette, and they were trying to kind of look for this idea, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Pizza disaster. It um, they, uh, they were looking for book ideas and, and it just kind of made sense at that time. Um, so I was really lucky to get to do this. Well, I was lucky to get to read it. And I think that <laughs> the thing I, the thing I like about it the most, and I think the way you kind of the brand, the book, at least for how a lot of the people that have been on Jeopardy have kind of branded it is like, oh, read this in order to get on Jeopardy. It's kind of like a how-to guide. Um, I did take it as that, but the thing I really liked about it was the fact that you kind of dove into why these contestants aren't just mere contestants or mere nerds that know a lot of stuff. They're really characters and they're almost, it's a stretch to call them athletes, but you kind of treat Jeopardy as a sport and you dive into um, how these contestants are just kind of complex people in the stories. I love reading about, you know, Buzzy Cohen, um, you know, Ken Jennings, what all these guys, the big names that, that you know of. Um, was that something you kind of anticipated was really getting to know all of these contestants really in depth? 
as I swallow, this is poor. No, poor it's perfect. Yeah. Part. If you got to burp too, don't burp into the microphone, but I totally understand. Totally. I'll edit I will it out. do my best. No promises. Um, yeah. I mean, so by the time it became a book, which was like spring 2019 was when we started talking about making it into a book. So it was actually pretty fast in the usual like book runway. Um, by the time that happened, I had been like my first Jeopardy stories were really kind of just bloggy, like, oh, this crazy thing happened and, um, you know, not really reported at all. And after I just kept writing about Jeopardy, I, I did start actually reporting and getting to know these people. So I actually did know a lot of the figures in that world before it was even a book. So like I knew Buzzy Cohen pretty well and I knew Ken Jennings pretty well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think with the book, I, as you as you pointed out, I think, I mean, I hope that it, it functions as sort of a how-to guide for people who want to go on the show, but I, I didn't want to just do that um, because, I mean, I think people who have actually made it onto the show, which I am not, I am not a Jeopardy contestant, I never will be a Jeopardy contestant, um, have written much more intelligently about that specific path um, and with much more, you know, like credibility because they've done it. So I didn't want it to just be that. I wanted it to be something for people who just liked Jeopardy and you know something that both the really diehard fans who religiously tune in every night at seven you know not to call them you know not to text them whatever uh, who care about like Jeopardy spoilers I wanted it to be for them but I also wanted it to be for people who just you know like grew up watching it and grew up loving it. I was in the quiz bowl world when I was in high school and we won a state championship, a little bit of a brag there, but there's no reason to brag after I read your book because that's the only thing I didn't like about your book. It was almost discouraging because I was like I tried out for Jeopardy on the uh I, I took the test and I'm like man only 460 people get to mm -hmm. do this every year um so hopefully and I mean even you know James Holzhauer uh, auditioned so many times before he got on and he's arguably the best ever um well I guess Ken Jennings won that but I guess what I'm I'm asking now is after you kind of dive into that world did the magic of the show and kind of like the majesty of the show wear off a little bit on you I think it's it's different. I think for me, um, just spending so much time in that universe and, and getting to know so many people in that universe, and that's like on both sides of the camera, right? Um, I, I think in general, the I, I appreciate the magic of it more, I would say, because I know how hard it is to get there. I know how hard it is to make the show. I know like how consciously certain parts of it are structured. Um, you know, like I've talked, to the writers and like how much craft kind of goes into these woody jeopardy clues and they make it look easy which i think it's like one of the hardest things to do when you're doing something so so i know all of that and um from, but what it has done is now when i watch jeopardy it's like it's really hard to watch because it's like i feel so much for the contestants and like <laughs> I, I i talked to so many people who had been trying to get on Jeopardy for years and years and years. Like one of the things I knew I wanted to do in the book is talk to people who haven't been on Jeopardy, but who want to get there someday and, and who possibly likely even will at some point. Um, but just knowing that in general, most people do spend years and years and years, even very, very bright people who become extremely dominant players once they actually get on the show. Uh, to your point, Holtower took the, the online test for 13 straight years before he finally got his second audition that led to a show. Yeah, exactly. And he, I mean, he's so bright. He's such a good player. Um, and, and that was the case even for him. So I think when I watch Jeopardy, 
watching you know just knowing that only one person on the stage can win and how hard the other two people worked to get there is like crushing to me i'm just like oh no the poor baby like it used to be like i could kind of jeer at people like oh that was a stupid bet how how could you not know that and i just like i so can't do that anymore yeah i uh i was wondering actually i gotta check in on your pizza okay you're taking another bite now i'm on my second piece i got a small so i could probably tackle a few more pieces i i think the gooeyness of the cheese was something i didn't anticipate and i actually i i actually really like this i'm not picky if you've taken any uh listens to any of my other episodes i like most things but this is actually pretty good one of my absolute worst food takes and i have many very bad food takes is um you remember when Domino's like five years ago, maybe more than that, ran that ad campaign where the whole premise of the ad campaign was that they knew their pizza sucked and everybody hated it. Yes. They were like, oh, it tastes like cardboard. It's ketchup sauce. <laughs> I loved the old sauce so much. And I hate their like new sauce that has flavor. No, I hate it. I hate it so much. Give me back the cardboard <laughs> pizza with the ketchup sauce. And this does not have their their robust tomato sauce or whatever they call it. Um, so I'm I'm delighted by. It. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm gonna happily disagree with you on there. I'm glad that mm. they changed it. Um, but yeah, I guess that's another thing to note that there's no sauce really. I guess it's like kind of just mostly the cheese because I guess tomato sauce would taste kind of gross um, with the taco on the. <laughs> Yeah. Um, on the subject of food, because this is kind of the theme of this podcast, uh, what was the spread like when you got to Jeopardy? Did they have donuts or what were these people eating in between shows? Yeah, I, I think it's, ooh, you know what? I'm going to get like angry notes from contestants after this because <laughs> I actually, um, I never was actually physically in the green room with contestants day of. So my descriptions of the green room are all from people who had just done it, you know, had done it many times, whatever. So I've never been there, but I have been to the like, oh, I'm forgetting craft. That's what they call it, craft services um, that they have just kind of cater like a tournament when they're filming that. And that's obviously for the staff, for the crew. Um, and, you know, it's like, like some, you know, an orange or some fruit snacks, a granola bar. Um, I think they have like prepackaged sandwiches that have been there forever. But one of the fun things about, um, that I think a lot of contestants get really excited about is like Jeopardy films on the Sony studio lot in Culver City in LA. And the Sony lot used to be MGM. So there's like a ton of old movie, old Hollywood history that happened there. And like, there's like a giant, I talked about this in the book, but there's like a giant rainbow installation that's like eight or nine stories tall. And that's supposed to, um, you know, harken back to like the Wizard of Oz, which I guess was, was filmed there. Um, and, because it's there, the contestants, the way a tape day works is they tape five games in a day and they'll tape the three in the morning in the studio. And then they have a lunch break. And what happens on the lunch break is they escort this like bubble of contestants who have not yet played to the like, uh, God, what is the word? It's like the canteen or something. Basically like the, the cafeteria that they have on the Sony lot that is just for Sony people generally. And I've eaten there a few times. It's actually like pretty good food. Like it's definitely like a cafeteria, but it's like a nice Hollywood cafeteria <laughs> for the studio executives. So it's, it's pretty good. 
Yeah, I'm uh, I'm encouraged to hear that in case I ever do get the call, which uh, you describe in this in the book as just this really exciting, pivotal moment for contestants. I mean, I there was one woman that got it while she was in labor. Am I, uh-huh. I remembering that correctly? That um, totally insane. I loved hearing about that. And hopefully um, that'll happen for me. Still on the subject of food, you went to Las Vegas, uh, these trivia nationals, and there was a buzzer seminar. And I love the idea of this gentleman, um, name is escaping me right now. Uh, Fritz Holznagel. Yes. So he had the idea that you drink a, a gigantic cup of coffee to mm-hmm. increase y- your buzzing. And I, I got to say, I've now I've been practicing at home and I'm trying to like chug Diet Cokes uh, yeah. to see if it makes it faster. So I, I mean, totally insane um, that that even happened. Um, but when you were at Jeopardy at the uh, studio, did you see people drinking the gigantic cups of coffee like that? Again, I mean, so I was not in the green room. Right. So okay. I think people who adhere to, to Fritz's advice. So Fritz was this Contestant, I talk about him in the book, but he he originally was on in the 90s, I think, and he won a whole bunch of games, and he's come back for a whole bunch of tournaments since then, most recently, I think, in 2014. And at that point, I mean, he was, you know, like, I think in his 40s, and he he kind of realized that he was probably not going to be as sharp on um, pop culture and things like that as as he was, you know, 20 years earlier. And so he decided that he was going to kind of, like, hack the buzzer. And so he wrote this like ebook basically about his his findings, but he did like tens of thousands of reps, possibly like hundreds of thousands of reps with like a homemade buzzer that he had designed to kind of mimic the the one on stage, which obviously he'd had a lot of experience with. And he tried all these different things like chugging caffeine immediately before he buzzed. And he found that it like, it gave him like a fraction of a second boost. So he advises that, that contestants do that. So there are contestants now who I think very deliberately kind of like knowing that you know Fritz says this is the best thing to do will just like down a cup of coffee I'm sure not good coffee in in the the Jeopardy green room immediately before they hit the stage and actually James Holzhauer is um kind of an adherent to the wisdom of Fritz Holznagel and so I I actually never asked him if he if he did the coffee part of it too but he may well have because he followed basically all his other um guidelines well, uh, just let you know, I'm punishing my stomach today because I had a gigantic cup of uh, or a, a, a venti Starbucks double shot, and now I'm eating this chicken taco pizza. <laughs> so I'm really adhering that I'm going to live forever. I just got a new piece, by the way. I'm actually very much enjoying this from Domino's. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm going to swallow before I talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, take your time. Totally. Um, I'm really glad that I have you on because we're in a pivotal time in the history of the show. A lot of people that don't know, um, obviously Alex Trebek has passed away, uh, but the the show is moving on with a new executive producer as well. Um, I kind of want to talk about Alex Trebek at first because I'm reading his book as well. And I started his book before I I got to yours. Um, And I like your kind of, you know, secondhand accounts and first person accounts of being in the room with him. And you do kind of humanize him a little bit. Uh, with Alex Trebek, how he kind of didn't love that. One of the parts I liked in the book was how he kind of anticipated this competition with who wants to be a millionaire and Regis Philbin and kind of being sharp when people don't have great games. Was there anything else that you walked away uh, from meeting Alex Trebek, just kind of characteristics that kind of surprised you? Yeah, I mean, uh, to to your point, I think... um 
part of what made him so good is that he he like he really cared about trivia like it was important to him like he thought that the things that they ask about on Jeopardy were sincerely important. Like he would always say like, oh, anybody could do this job. And I don't think anybody that <laughs> has ever watched uh, an Alex Trebek hosted ver- uh, episode of Jeopardy would, would agree that anybody could do what he did. But um, I don't think, I think that because he really did care about all those things and cared about the classics and cared about Mark Twain and cared about the Kings of England, um, it, it made him better. And so like when he, when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire was this huge sensation in 1999, 2000, he, he did kind of like take umbrage that people were sort of comparing the two. And I think he was like irritated because he was like, this is not the same kind of game show. Like this, they're not asking good trivia, not asking hard trivia. And like one of my favorite things that I learned from talking to a lot of contestants is like in, at the end of episodes, um, in the pre-COVID days, at least, you know, you would see Trebek walk over to the contestant left turns and like shake the, the champion's hand and then sort of like do some sort of chit chat, like lean lean over and like talk to the guy, uh, talk to people on stage for, for a little bit, but you couldn't hear what he was saying. He would cut off his mic. And what I learned is that like more often than not, he was asking people about Final Jeopardy. He was like, how did you figure out that clue? Like, did you get this hint in it? Or like to these heartbroken people who just missed it and like lost out on tens of thousands of dollars and also like <laughs> had always dreamed of like winning on Jeopardy and now realize it's over for them. And he would just be like, oh, come on. Like, don't you remember reading this? Like he would kind of like rag people for for uh, not getting it. But I mean, he cared. Like it was it was important to him. It mattered. Yeah, I've I've also enjoyed watching this week. It's the first week of, I believe it's the first week of the Ken Jennings episodes of him guest hosting. Um, I was wondering to get your take on this. How much longer do you think that they will kind of memorialize Alex Trebek's legacy in every show? Because Ken Jennings starts off with an introduction about Alex um, and then he ends it with saying, love you, Alex. So how much longer do you think that they'll do that? Yeah, I mean... I think the show is an interesting place because um, they, you know, they separately from just Alex Trebek just being phenomenal at it and this like beloved host and just like very, very good at the job of hosting Jeopardy. They also really consciously for at least the last decade and I think well before that really made him the like brand of Jeopardy, right? Like when you opened up your TV and like went to your DVR, the like picture of Jeopardy was Alex Trebek. And on the side of the Jeopardy studio, it was like a huge, huge poster of Alex Trebek that they had like put up there. And I think they're like, you know, their social media profile pictures were all Alex Trebek. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that they, because he had talked about retirement over uh, like many times over the like last decade as he was in his seventies, they knew that that was a choice and that eventually there would be Jeopardy probably sooner rather than later without Trebek. And they they still kind of chose to do that. But of course, now we are in this place where they're trying to memorialize him, but also shift to a future that does not revolve around him. Um, so I think, I think probably they, they see <clears throat> this season, the remainder of this season, and we're about halfway through. It'll tape through like early April, late March, and it'll keep airing until early July. That's the, the end of season 37. Um, I think they see this as kind of an ongoing tribute to Trebek. And I, they've said more or less that 
they will have this kind of rotation of guest hosts for the duration of this season before they they name a, a permanent successor. Um, so I, I suspect we will see some kind of like conscious memorializing of Trebek, but I mean, it, it's a tricky thing, right? Because at the same time, of course, Jeopardy viewers, you, me, like we love him, we miss him. Like it's weird to watch Jeopardy without him. I think Ken has been doing a phenomenal job of it, but like, it's still really jarring to hear Johnny Gilbert say like, and now here's the guest host of Jeopardy, Ken Jennings, right? Like it's, it's every time I've like, I'm like four episodes into this week and every night it's been like, oh shit. Like it is a reminder of the loss to keep kind of having Trebek um, put into the show. And and so I think they they probably know that. And it's, it's a tricky place from like a, a management perspective, right? Because it is sort of a branding question as well as like a heartbreak question because the people who work for the show really loved him and knew him for many years as well. I mean, Ken Jennings is doing a great job, which is also impressive because this is a guy whose background really isn't in TV, but then you look at it and he's been in the public eye for 17 years now. Oh, by the way, how's your pizza? Mine's getting a little cold. Uh, I'm a little cold, but I'm working through it. Yeah, don't feel like you got to eat the whole thing. Like I told you in the in the email yesterday, it's not Adam Richmond. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, it might be a stretch, but I'm anticipating having a lot of wine on Inauguration Day, Wednesday. <laughs> Maybe I'll need a new pizza by then. Probably yes, but well, you're in DC, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Well, uh, yeah, I'm about like right. ten tenish blocks from the Capitol building, so um, we'll see. I was just looking at a map of all the street closures in DC, and it's just like just red. Like oh there aren't gosh. cars here anymore. <laughs> well, it's going to be a regular day in Bluefield, West Virginia, hopefully. <laughs> so, in the booming metropolis that I'm in, uh, but well, I was going to say. ESPN came out yesterday and Aaron Rodgers kind of let it loose when he wasn't supposed to, that he's going to be a guest host on Jeopardy. How do you think he's going to do? I, of course, just took a bite. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. Um, excuse me. Very long pauses as well. No, um, it's good. Chew your pizza. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. No choking hazards here. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, so Aaron Rodgers is one of the, the hosts they've named. They've also named Katie Couric. Um, Bill Whitaker from 60 Minutes, I think, um, and a few other people. And Aaron Rodgers is, is like clearly kind of the left field choice of that, right? Because all these other people are like broad broadcasters or actors, um, uh, obviously with the exception of Ken Jennings. Well, Aaron Rodgers was but, an actor in the office finale where he just said flag on the true. play. Yeah, I mean, he's literally so. done stuff on TV. And he was a celebrity Jeopardy contestant. And he did he did really well. So he has at least like been on that stage before. Um, but it's it's weird, right? Like it's it's going to be strange. It is kind of a stunty thing on Jeopardy's part. And like of all the announcements, he got the most attention. So I think that to me reads a little bit again like a a, a branding publicity decision by Jeopardy, where they knew it was going to get all this buzz. Like I mean the ratings for that episode or those episodes, I don't think they've said how many he's going to do. It might just be one because they tape five in a day. It could be a whole like week's worth because that is just a day at Jeopardy. Um, we don't know, but I mean, like so many people are going to watch that. Like I'm going to watch that like for sure. Of course. I mean, I watch every night, but like, I will definitely watch that night. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, I think he will be fun. I think he will be good in a way to me. It is encouraging that Jeopardy is turning to people like him. And they've said that they're going to turn to more people. And I, I bet we see some more celebrity Jeopardy alumni. Um, but I think that that 
speaks to it being a novelty for Jeopardy and not the kind of person that they're looking for as a permanent host. And that is like entirely my own editorializing. I'm not sure. They've been very, very like secretive about exactly how they're approaching this process. But um, it's it's nice that, you know, they're, they're willing to, in a very minor way, like mix things up, a uh, very minor and non-permanent way. Because I think Jeopardy fans like do not want a lot of change on the show. So I think they know that. Well, I know that, you know, there's probably not a lot of inside, you know, more inside baseball than anybody, but I'm sure you can't really answer this question. Uh, I've heard the names George Stephanopoulos. I've heard LeVar Burton. Uh, is there anybody that if you had to guess is going to be the permanent replacer, who would it be? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. And um, like I said, they are being very secretive. Um, I, I think that um, we know that they have considered broadcasters in the past we we know that at in like 2014 when Trebek was was quite publicly kind of talking about like maybe he would retire instead of signing a new contract we know that in that time period a then Sony executive very very senior Sony executive um reached out to Anderson Cooper and kind of like hint had this exchange that subsequently got leaked um that hinted that like he was a very likely candidate if not like they're definite chosen successor. I don't know that it will be Anderson Cooper. It's been reported that he's like not even interested at this point. Jeopardy, I guess, has said that they want whoever it is to like make it their main job. And I think it, it we probably don't see Anderson Cooper walk away from CNN for this. Um, though it is a great job. Like you work 46 days a year and Trebek got paid somewhere between like 10 and $20 million. <laughs> like it is Jeez. a fantastic <laughs> gig. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think broadcasters are really likely. And I think the reason the show is thinking that way is, is maybe a little bit because Trebek himself actually was a broadcaster before he became a, a game show host up in Canada with CBC. Um, but also like news broadcasters are used to just, you know, reading a lot of information really quickly and really clearly, which is like when, <clears throat> excuse me, when you're in the Jeopardy studio, it's kind of mind boggling how fast the, the game moves. Like they, they tape it basically in real time. So it is basically like a single half hour because they pause for like what would be commercial breaks. Um, but I mean, it's, it is moving at that speed. Like there's very little editing in the sense of like cutting off seconds here and there when you watch an episode of Jeopardy. So you have to move so, so fast and you can't mess things up. And um, and you have to also be really practiced at reading things like exactly as they are because the writers have really consciously wor worded the clues so you can't like paraphrase or mix up a word here and there. Um, so I think a broadcaster is the likeliest of all, of all those options, but I think they're also probably pretty aware that people have been really loving Ken Jennings, right? Like, I'm sure that they are monitoring the response to that um and our uh, you know there was kind of like a social media backlash to him over the last few weeks over some old tweets of his and over defending bean dad the bean yeah dad what the hell was that i don't I, everyone's <laughs> losing their minds right like we're all locked in our houses we're all just reading horrible news all day long like everything's gone to pieces so why not that um <laughs> but yeah so i i think they're probably pretty aware of that the one other kind of curveball that I think probably Jeopardy fans don't most Jeopardy fans probably aren't super aware of is like on at Jeopardy like I, I think casual fans kind of assume that Alex Trebek was the one like literally running the show and he actually was during the first I think three seasons of the reboots in the 80s but 
ever since then, there has been an executive producer who actually also has the same job at Wheel of Fortune. And they run all the, they run everything. Like they make everything like run on time. They make all the, the decisions about differences in, in gameplay. So this new executive producer you referred to earlier is named Mike, Mike Richards. And he actually has a little bit of hosting experience. So we know that he's going to do at least a couple weeks of guest hosting immediately after Ken Jennings. And it has been reported that he is like very much in the running to become the permanent host. So it might be this kind of in the family person who probably a lot of like, unless you're a game show diehard, you might not know who he is. Right. Um, well, I, I actually didn't know that about Mike Richards, that he can uh, be the new host or is in the running. Um, by the way, I picked out another piece of pizza. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm just really just doing it because like it's there because that's a problem with my eating habits. Um, but I'm all right. I think I'm enjoying it. So I'm, it's making the conversation even better. So I will say yet another of my awful food takes. Oh, here we go. Is that, is that I really don't like green peppers or like bell peppers. Like I just, it's not a spiciness thing. Just don't like the flavor. Um, and I contemplated customizing this pizza. Cause you can ask them to leave off things, but I was like, no, I've got to do the like pure form of the chicken taco pizza. But I will say, I am pleasantly surprised that it's it's not bad. <laughs> I just well, got like I'm a big green pepper bite. So um, it was fine. I didn't gag. Yeah, well, I am honored that you respected the sanctity of my stupid little podcast. So I really, Listen, I'm really it's happy for science. That. Yeah, it's definitely for science. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was introduced... Uh, to your work through a Twitter interaction because I had this dumb tweet and I tweet about Jeopardy a lot. Um, a lot of my stuff is kind of like either sports with my job or, or shit posting. Um, but uh, I, I tweeted something about how I'm fascinated with the clue crew because they will go to these remote areas and just be like, hi, I'm in the middle of Tokyo, Japan, which is the cap or the biggest city in this continent. I'm like, y'all had to go all the way out there to say that? <laughs> Um, so I guess my question is, will there be any shakeups to new members of the Clue crew or how are they going to stagger um, filming new clues where uh, international travel is pretty much halted? Yeah, so um, a couple things with that. That is a great question because I, I have actually been really curious about the like present and future of the Clue crew for some time. Because the Clue Crew, as recently as like 2008, I want to say, actually had five members. Like they they first introduced it around like it was early 2000s, and I think they like they decided at some point like we're gonna have like five of these people who kind of pop in for for clues, and they haven't been replacing people as they've left. So of that original group of five, we're now down to two, um, which is Jimmy and Sarah who are sensational and I mean, they're lovely people. They're just like the kindest people. And so an interesting thing about the Clue Crew is that like, while if you watch Jeopardy, you just kind of think of them as like this person who like travels the globe and like films clues and like jets into Tokyo and then like off to Zimbabwe and like, you know, all of that. And, and to some degree that's, that's the case, but really most of their job is kind of in the studio. So Jimmy, for example, on a typical tape day, um, before Trebek would would come out on the stage because they kind of silo the the host from the contestants because the host has seen the game material before the game so they don't really let them interact 
he would stand in during like the more the morning warm-up session where they tried out the buzzer to kind of get the hang of it so he would sort of be the de facto host and Sarah does a lot of the like post-game interviews and um you know they're they're both uh, yeah, like I, I just, just I didn't like, even know that was a thing. Eyebrows, and it is very like sport, like where like if somebody had a crazy game, they'll be like, "Come aside, Bob. Like, tell me, <laughs> like, did you know? Like, what was the thinking there?" Um, but specifically with this, like, nobody is traveling internationally or even you know really domestically right now. Certainly, nobody at Jeopardy is. Um, they uh, they they have like a tremendous backlog of already filmed clues. Um, so I think that they they probably have a lot of material. I was in the studio once and, and Jimmy was joking about like, I forget the specifics of this, but I think he was like, he, he was in a hotel, like he was at like a hotel gym, I want to say. He was in, in a gym, he's like on the treadmill running and Jeopardy comes on the TV as it does. And he's sort of like, oh, how funny, like, and he's running, there's like a guy running next to him and his clue comes on, like some clue. And he said that he like, didn't even remember filming that clue but he has like this surreal moment of like watching himself on Jeopardy and he said like the guy running next to him sort of like turned and looked at him <laughs> and then just sort of like turned back to the TV and just didn't say anything so there is like this like multi-year backlog of like exotic locales that the clue crew has been to so um I don't think they're they're in danger yet but I am I mean I'm curious what happens to the clue crew long term because there there does seem to have been a decision at some point to put somewhat less of an emphasis on that. So I, I've asked Jeopardy and they've said that like they love the clue crew as it is, but um, I don't think it's gonna grow, but maybe I'll be proven wrong. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, the clue crew or the people that film the video questions and, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of their work as Claire says in the studio, but they also do a lot of traveling. Um, I guess my favorite, another, part of the book I really really enjoyed I've been watching Goodfellas this week and I really like the scene in Goodfellas where Henry Hill Ray Liotta's character is kind of introducing everybody at the at this bar that they inevitably burned down it's like Tony two times he says everything twice get the papers get the papers that's kind of how I envisioned the alumni network bar at the trivia <laughs> night uh that you got to go to the same night as the greatest of all time yeah uh, what's everybody drinking on a night like that <laughs> you know I, I wish I could say that they're like on on average like hard drinking uh you know just downing shots between clues but I would say that like at, at my table some some wonderful former champs um let me kind of join their team and I'm an idiot like they, I, I didn't no you're not no you got two questions on. It was, I mean, like that they would have gotten also, like, had I not been there. So it was, you know, but they were very sweet. They gave me an equal share of the like, you know, prize pool. I think I made like 10 or 15 bucks off of it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, at that table, like, I think maybe two of the people weren't drinking and the others like had like a beer a piece over like three or four hours. So I, I think it's um the... Gen in general, Jeopardy dorks do not fit all of the stereotypes that you might imagine. Many of them know sports. Many of them love sports, have played sports. They're high-functioning social creatures, but a few of the stereotypes about dorks generally might might be true of, of that community. I don't think it's super, super hard drinking in general. Well, but maybe you know, it was just because I was a reporter. Maybe they were like, oh, she, she <laughs> oh, can't. Oh, we got to hold back. <laughs> 
I think another part of the book I really like, and it's, it's something you close off on, because it's very, it actually factors into my life. Dave Madden said something about, who was a huge champion on Jeopardy, how Jeopardy is kind of a small world and the trivia world is small. That's so interesting because I knew him in high school. He came to Did my high really? school. Yeah, he came to my high school. Um, and actually we met him at, I went to quiz bowl camp for two years. So you talk about the doors. I, <laughs> I, I was part of that. And hopefully I don't fit the stereotype. I'm a sportscaster now. Um, but yeah, I loved, you talk about an eccentric fella. That guy, he brought us like Austrian cake because my high school hosted his, uh, his, tournament and I was lucky enough to win it um but yeah he was what were your interactions like with him because this is just this is just me wondering because I thought this guy was such an enigma when I was 17 years old yeah I um I I guess I I I should say that I have not met him in person like a lot of these interviews were were uh early in the year sort of like as as COVID was happening I think I probably talked to him before that but um but yeah I mean he's wonderful he's he's so interesting he's like he's so smart you can you can yeah. just tell when you're talking to him that he's working on like four other problems while he's <laughs> while he's telling you and, like he would tell me these really interesting like eloquent things and meanwhile I just hear him like ruffling through stuff and um <laughs> yeah, it's just like all right man like you're probably just like solving a math theorem at the same time like I don't know I would I would believe anything um but yeah I mean honestly for me being a Jeopardy fan the, the book so often was just an excuse to talk to people that I'd always kind of wanted to talk to. <laughs> and a lot of them were these, these sort of towering figures in the Jeopardy community. I mean, like I said earlier, I did already know a lot of people in that community, but there were a lot of others I had not gotten to talk to. And so this was like an excuse to like call up, literally call up the NYPD and be like, could you connect me to Frank Spangenberg, please? <laughs> and like, just have him answer and be like, hello, this is Detective Spangenberger, I, I'm sure I messed up his title, but um, so that, I mean, that was just like such a joyful part of the book, especially like this year, like it would just be like, everything was awful. Like I was supposed to get <laughs> married in March, did not get married in March. Like it's just been like, just a weird year, right? Like you read the news and it's just like, God damn, like, and, um, <laughs> and like then I would just get to spend a bunch of time working on Jeopardy like just talk to these people about like so what was it like to get the call like what did you do oh my god you like dropped your lunch like what was that like it's just it was this it's this really kind of sunny corner of the world amongst Jeopardy alumni so I love it yeah and I, I love being able to dive into it um Claire you've been great we have a segment on this show called roast them or toast them which by the way, my pizza's ice cold now. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm not enjoying it as much as I did uh, previously. Um, right, that's like the fast food, the fast food conundrum, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And I was thinking about that, just a quick aside here. There was a picture of you know, President Trump two years ago feeding the Clemson football team fast food. I was like, how do they keep all those filet of fishes warm? They don't. It's, they it's definitely cool. did not. Yeah, <laughs> there's no chance those things were warm. Um, but anyway, uh, moving into roast them or toast them, roast them means that you don't like it. Like I roast you like, what are those? And then toast them, uh, is like raising your glass to it. Um, so I kind of wanted to put a little, uh, Jeopardy spin on it. So for roast them or toast them, potent potables, Long Islands, how do you feel about those? 
Long Islands. I'm like, I feel like the only thing I know about Long Islands is that it's a lot of things in them. I would say <laughs> toast them. Am I supposed to just, if I yeah. toast them, do I, do I say why? Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I would toast the Long Island because I think when you order one, you know what you're getting, even if you don't know what's in it. You're like, this night is gonna, I'm gonna feel awful tomorrow. Like, here we go. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like a choice you're making. You know what lies ahead. You've chosen to do that. It's not like a casual, like, sip at home drink as you stir your cocktail. It's not that. You've chosen not to do that. And so I appreciate something that is like upfront about what it is. <laughs> well, uh, I gotta say, uh, personally, I think I'd roast them, but my college bar. <laughs> would make them and it's like like you said it's like oh boy after i have this which are also <laughs> like sneak there's like sneakily like tons of calories and I, why do i care about that i'm eating pizza but <laughs> anyway um uh, okay so this one's a, a a question um or i guess it's an answer oh, which is the title of your book oh, no. which is answers <laughs> in the form of questions a definitive history and insider's guide to jeopardy so here we go. Roast them or toast them. Boom! This the, the sound of the question. In the early 1900s, this all-American dessert was given out at Ellis Island. Ooh. I don't know. What is apple pie? Then, oh, sorry. Good Ooh. try, though. What? <laughs> I won't keep this going too long. It's what is jello? Which, by the way, I didn't oh. know that either. That was a real question on the show. So roast them or toast them with jello. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> this is, this is true. I, uh, at one point was trying to like talk myself into doing a Jeff or a Jello book. <laughs> and I was just, I ultimately came around to the idea that it was probably not, I'm not sure how many Jello fans need a, need a Jello book. I'm not sure how many Jello fans exist. So I guess I'm a solid roast them on Jello. Okay. Um, well, I'm glad I asked about that. Here's something that, uh, I saw your, your profile on the ringer. I've never heard of this before. Potent Potables, and please tell me how to pronounce this. Is it Malort? Malort. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is that? Uh, it is this Chicago-based liqueur um, that is like it's it's wormwood-based. It tastes awful. It's basically like a cult product that for many many years has only been sold in Chicago, and is like the stunt shot you do to like torture your friends who come to Chicago. I went to college in Chicago, so. I'm unfortunately a little bit too aware of Malort, but they're like trying to expand nationally now. So if you don't know Malort, have not suffered through Malort, your, your time might be coming soon. <laughs> so, so are you going to toast them? I guess I have to toast them for, for the same reasons as the, the Long Island iced tea. I mean, certainly roast them when it's a surprise, which I think Chicagoans are, are very, very fond of doing just like, oh, here, you know, you think it's whiskey. It is not whiskey <laughs> but if you know what it is and you've chosen to do that i think toast them i gotta get to the point where i'm graduating to whiskey because i'm still drinking like i'm 20 years old and it's just bud lights that's just what i know so uh but anyway claire like i said you've been awesome uh last thing we do on this podcast we rate the meal so it's the Domino's chicken taco pizza one through ten i guess I'll, I'll let you close but starting out with me um the the gooeyness of the cheese was pretty good uh, the bell peppers, even though they, Claire normally doesn't like them, I actually really like them a lot. Uh, the chicken was good. And also my service, shout out Bluefield, Virginia's Domino's being really awesome to me. Um, but it's kind of a, just a normal pizza. I'm going to give it a 6.2 out of 10. So what about you, Claire? Yeah, I mean, I suppose if, if, uh, if 10 is excellent, I yeah. think I'm probably 
a six in that I would not describe this as like excellent or, or super close to excellent. However, if, if, uh, if, if zero is, is really, if it's calibrated around the zero, which is like my expectations of what it would be, I think this is like a, this is like a 9.5. I'm shocked <laughs> by, by how, how good this pizza was. Well, uh, Claire, thanks for being a good sport. Once again, I'm going to plug your book here, which I absolutely love. And by the way, folks, this is not War and Peace. It's not that long of a book. So it's totally readable. I really, really enjoyed that. Answers in the form of questions, a definitive history and insider's guide to Jeopardy. Claire, thank you so much. Claire, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me.